Everybody doing well? Take your Bibles, turn to 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. If someone asked you today how you were doing, what would you say? I'm convinced that the two greatest lies told in church on a week-to-week basis are these. I'm fine, and I'll pray for you. (laughs) Think about it. I've gotten to the point where if someone asks me to pray for them, I'll say, I'll do it if you'll text me or email me. Because I want to, but the odds are I'll forget somewhere between now and then. So I want to be a truthful person. But if you were to honestly respond, how are you doing? Would it be worried? Bored? Feeling useless? Wondering if your life really counts for something? Unhappy? Unfulfilled? Unsatisfied? Stressed out? I mean, how would you really respond if the filters of being a good Christian weren't in front of you if someone said, how are you doing? I would contend that there are many, many of us here today and across Christianity that are living unfulfilled, unproductive, unsatisfied Christian lives. And I would also contend that this is not the life that Jesus came to give us. In John 10.10, Jesus said this, The thief does not come except to steal and kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. The enemy has only one purpose, steal, kill, and destroy. That's the only reason he comes. Everything else he tries to offer to us that looks so good is just that. It's smoke and mirrors. It's to steal, kill, and destroy the life that God has for you. Jesus came so that you could have abundant life. And here's what I want us to see this morning, and I pray we'll catch it. This is not merely about heaven. I mean, heaven's a good thing, right? We, we want to go to heaven. I'd rather go to heaven than hell. Anybody with me? I mean, I'd rather that be my destination. But too many times we believe that all we're saved for is heaven. I believe that Jesus came that you could experience abundant life now. Now. Look around at the lives people are leading all around us. Is it the abundant life? Is it the life to the fullest or is it merely existing? Not only that, but the things that the world tells us will bring us life, will not bring us life. November 27, 2009, police outside of Orlando, Florida were called to a minor traffic accident. Minor. It wasn't a big deal, didn't seem to be such a big deal, until the names were released of the people involved in this minor traffic accident. Prior to November 27, 2009, this specific individual had amassed a a wealth approaching $1 billion. 
It was estimated by many that he would be the first $1 billion athlete on our planet. The year 2009, he made between winnings and endorsements somewhere, in the, somewhere north of $150 million in that one year. The accident occurred right outside of his very the $60 million home. Within a year, his wife, his two children had left. He was divorced. Since that time, a specific athlete has won eight golf tournaments. Last year, he still made $40 million, so don't feel too badly for him, but they were all off past contracts and endorsements. Nothing current. We know the tale of Tiger Woods. Many of us who got arrested last month even for uh, driving under the influence. Prior to 2009, Tiger Woods had won 72 golf tournaments. 72. He, he was listed as uh, longer at number one in the world of golf, like four years in a row he was number one without a break. He had won 14 major golf tournaments. You know, there are four majors every year. He had won 14. Many said he would become the greatest and winningest golfer of all time. Eight golf tournaments since 2009. He had four years where he won eight golf tournaments or more in a single year. Today, it's said that he sits in his $60 million home and spends most of his time playing video games. How do you get from there to here? How do you get, get there? I would say that we, money, fame, he was the world's most famous athlete in 2009. How do you get from there to here? Listen, our scale may be slightly different, but there are many of us not experiencing the life abundant that Jesus came to give us. Because we see something and think this is it, and it's smoke and mirrors. It's the enemy's trap to say, come here, but it's going to steal, kill, and destroy you. I believe that Christ came to give us freedom. In 11 days, 10 days, 11 days, We'll be experiencing the 242nd anniversary of the birth of our nation. We talk about freedom a lot. But are we a nation of people who are really free? I mean, we equate political, economic, social freedom to freedom. But Christ came to give us true freedom. It was for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. What is the yoke that Paul is talking about in Galatians? Where he's talking about a couple of things, actually. He's talking about the law, in this case. Don't, don't let somebody put a yoke of slavery on you, the law, telling you what you have to do in order to get God's approval. But he's also talking about the yoke of sin. Law and the sin. The law and sin are the yokes that many of us walk in. And if we don't crack those open and understand that Christ has given us freedom, freedom will never truly ring in our hearts and our lives. 
many of us here today, we're going to heaven, I believe. But I don't believe that we're walking in the abundant life that Christ has died to give us because we're either under a yoke of slavery or the yoke of the law. Those two things are calling to us and saying, come this way, when Christ wants to give us freedom. Because see what those are? They're like, <clears throat> they're like the siren calls of ancient mythology. You know, that beautiful music. There are these sirens, beautiful maidens who would sing, and the, the sailors would sail toward them and, and dash their boats on the rocks or become ensnared or entrapped. We have these siren calls. Even in Christianity, we have these siren calls that are beckoning to us, saying, come here, come here, come here. This is what life looks like. And in truth, they're just yokes. They're, they're, they'll burden us. They trap us. So these next two weeks, as we get ready for 4th of July and talk about freedom, let's talk about real freedom. How do we walk in real, real freedom? 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 says this. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. God has granted to us everything we need in two categories, life and godliness. Normally, by the way, we focus on what we don't have. Is that correct? I mean, many of us, a lot of our time is spent not in the glory and goodness and celebration and thankfulness of what we've got, but in the things we don't have. Um, I read this two weeks ago about this woman who was, uh, and it was a true story, she had been married for a little over a year. She left her husband, went back to her parents' house, and um, her mom greeted her at the door and said, what are you doing here? I, I'm moving back in. And the mom said, are you, are you okay? And the young lady said, it, this just wasn't what I thought it was going to be. And the mom said, oh, I'm so sorry. Did, does, did he cheat on you? She goes, no. The mom goes, did he beat you? No. Is he verbally abusive? No. Is he withholding money from you? No. Do you live in a nice house? Well, yes. Is he feeding you? Yes. I mean, the list just went on and on. And the mom said, well, what's wrong? And she said, we just, we're having trouble getting along, and he doesn't complete me. And the mom said to her, in language I won't use, get your butt home. Not here, home. Home, home. What, what, why? Because too often we're looking for things that aren't life. We, we, we focus on what we don't have rather than what we do have. Is there anything in your existence that won't fit into one of these two categories, life or godliness? Food? Oh, that, that'll go with life. Patience? Godliness. Money, life. Love, godliness. House, life. Golf, I don't know. 
somewhere in one of those two categories. People in church are all the time thinking that they would, listen to me carefully, they would do more if they had more. I want to tell you this morning, God's given you everything you need. He's given you everything you need. Well, I want more. Well, I'll give you God's economy, and I'll try and do it nicely. If you want more, then do more with what he's given you. It's called stewardship. Entrusted with, faithful with little, entrusted with more. But here's the point this morning. You are fully equipped to live a life of freedom, to live a life of fullness. The key is you have to have a real relationship with Jesus Christ. I don't mean a fake one. I don't mean the one where we sometimes say, I know Jesus, but we don't know him. I'm talking about a real life. He has given us his great and through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Again, most of us only think the difference between us Christians and non-Christians is we're going to heaven and they're not. But Peter is saying you've been given the divine nature not just for heaven but for now. But for now. Jesus died to give you more. He has a destiny for you and me on this earth, for us together on this earth. I think many of us have lost the vision of earth and substituted with the hope of heaven. I believe God has a vision for us now. I also believe this. I'm not trying to beat us up. I'm trying to get us to freedom. Is that Many of us as Christians don't live with any more internal resources than everybody else in the world. I mean, we, we don't tap into what God has given us. He's given us more so that we can live super, we can live according to the divine nature. Here's my thought on this. You know, I can tell when I'm getting close to vacation, you know, like when, when I got a time off coming, because I need a break and I get a little more blunt with my words. So just give me grace. I'm here this week and next week, and then I get a couple weeks off, and I'll be back to normal hopefully after that. Here's my thought. If, if we're not going to live according to the divine nature and the supernatural resources God has given us, then what the heck are we doing? I mean, don't you have something better to do with your time than this? If, we're gonna, if all we're going to do is live just according to some rules that are a little better than the world, but we're not tapping into the resources that God has given us, then this, to me, makes no sense. I mean, we're wasting a lot of time and money. But, but, if we will capture the truth that we have the divine nature and that God has really given us everything we need for life and godliness, then, so to speak, Katie, bar the door. The gates of hell cannot stand against that kind of church. 
Paul, Peter, excuse me, goes on and says this. He says, for this very reason, well, what reason? Well, because he's given you everything you, you need for life and godliness, and you've got the divine nature, and you're escaping the corruption, and we have a great life. For this reason, make every effort, okay, here's our part, to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. Really, what he's trying to say is this. Make every effort, because God has done this in your life, make every effort to apply what he's given you to your life. Apply it. He's not saying, do this to please God. He's saying, God has done this for you. Now, just let her go. Let it loose in your life. Let his presence loose. Apply these things in your life. These are who we are, these eight qualities, faith, goodness, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, kindness, love. He then goes on in verses 8 and following and says, this is my outline for you, here are the consequences of not doing this. Here's what your life will look like if you don't. Understand that he's given you everything for life and godliness, and you're applying these eight in your life. Here are the consequences of not. But here are the joys if you do. So I'm going to focus a little bit this morning on the consequences of neglecting life, which is point one. I'm going to hit point two, but I'm going to talk about it more next week. So I've kind of split it up into two parts. Here are the consequences of neglecting life. What life? Not just existing. I'm talking about the divine life and nature that God has given you. What happens if you neglect these eight qualities, applying them in your life? Am I making any sense? So you've got these eight qualities that God has given you. They're a gift. You're applying them in your life. What happens if you don't? Well, here's some questions you can ask yourself. And I think if the answer to these questions is yes, then we're not walking in the divine life God has given us. Are you bored? Don't answer out loud. <laughs> I'm bored right now, but in general, no. In verse 8, in verse 8, here's what he says. I'm going to go verses 8 through 11. Are you bored? For if these qualities are yours and are increasing... They will render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Useless or ineffective, the idea here is that you're not doing what you're designed to do. You're not doing what you're designed to do. If you're doing what you're designed to do and equipped to do and empowered to do, you will not live a boring Christian life. It won't be boring. You'll find life in it. I read a couple of years ago about this guy who was trying to raise a tiger in a one-bedroom apartment in New York. A tiger. I don't know how he got it. They, were, they, they weren't sure. But let me just tell you this. If you try to raise a tiger in an apartment, you're going to drive yourself crazy and frustrate the tiger. Why? Because the tiger is not made to live in an apartment. And something is going to go really wrong. At some point, 
things are not going to be pretty. And they weren't in this guy's apartment. Listen, you're not designed to be a pet. You're designed to be unleashed so that the glory of God can shine through you to the world around you. The church was designed to be this this jewel held up to the glory of the light of God so that in all its facets it would display his glory. When we aren't that, we're bored. And when we're bored, we do stupid stuff. I mean, we lose our stinking minds. And we do things that we're not supposed to be doing. I mean, we look around at times and say, why did so-and-so do that? Well, at some point, I think they lost sight of who they are and what they were called to do. And they got bored with life and tried to fill it. And the enemy is always there with an alternative answer. I got something for you. This will bring you some life. I read this past week, and I, some people aren't shocked by this stat. I was totally surprised. But the, the age demographic that spends the most time on social media, the age demographic that spends the most time on social media aged 35 to 49. Why? We're bored. It's about that time you start to get bored. You start to, you know, you're, uh, and let me just tell you, a lot of that just leads nowhere good. When you're bored, by the way, when you're bored, you're generally boring, too. You become a pain. You, became, you become chaos. I told you I'm going on vacation in a couple of weeks. Just hang with me. <laughs> You become a pain. You became chaotic to those around you. You're like a tiger in an apartment. Now, I know that's not boring, but it's, it's just not meant to be. Don't be ineffective. Don't be useless. I know I sound like that commercial. Don't be. Second question, are you barren? Barren. Barren's not my favorite word, but I... It was only B, all these begin with B, and you know how I am. Uh, I like to, the letters. To, but anyway, it is the word for being unfruitful. It is the word for being unfruitful. I think the happiest, most fulfilled people on the earth are fruitful people, bearing fruit. Do you know, I've never been a part of a church where evangelism was occurring, where they had fights about other stuff. I mean, it just didn't happen. Why? Because they're so excited to see fruit being born. One of the greatest times of your life is when you have children. The first year or two. <laughs> There's something about being fruitful that brings joy to your life. God's desire is for you to bear fruit. John 15 says, you did not choose me but I chose you, and I appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. I mean, have you ever really thought about that passage? 
Jesus isn't saying, hey, you were so great. You were so fruitful. That's why. I no, he's saying, I chose you. I've instilled in you and with the purpose of going and bearing fruit. Be fruitful. Now, here's the thing about being fruitful. I believe there's this, if, if we receive the divine life that God has given us, then we will be fruitful. In other words, healthy things bear fruit. They, they bear fruit. When I was in high school, my family lived in South Florida in Miami. We had an, uh, two grapefruit trees and two orange trees in our backyard. And our neighbor had a mango tree that always hang, hung over our fence. My mom in the morning would say, hey, go get a couple of grapefruit out of the backyard. Go in the backyard, pick a couple of grapefruit, bring them in. We'd have grapefruit for breakfast. Do you know, here's the thing about that tree. All we ever did was like make sure it had enough water, a little sunshine. We didn't really do anything to the tree. It just kept bearing fruit. And let me tell you, when that mango tree bear, bore fruit, I mean, you couldn't eat enough mangoes to keep. And it wasn't even our tree. It just hung over our yard. It was so many, we'd have rotten mangoes in our backyard. What is it about fruit bearing? I'm just saying, when we're tapped into the divine life, we are fruitful. What does that say about us if we're not fruitful? I believe it's not like I'm saying to you, I'm commanding you to go bear fruit. Are you, do you understand? In other words, if I say, Rob Hackney, you've got to get out there and bear some fruit, dude. Go bear fruit. Well, what's the problem with that? I can't command you. It's not a law. It's not a command to bear fruit. It is the result of being tapped into the divine life. So if I'm not bearing fruit, I need to step back and say, what is, it that's what is it in me that's preventing me from bearing fruit? How, how am I cutting off the life of God that comes into me and bears fruit? We don't need to be just takers. We need to be fruit bearers. Listen, we're going to have to battle against, the one thing we do have to battle against for sure is this consumer mindset that's crept into the church as a whole. It's not about what you get out of church. It's about you being tapped into the divine life of God, experiencing spiritual life, and then bearing fruit. Are you barren? Third, are you blind? But those who fail to develop these virtues are blind. See, I'm not making up all the B words. Some of them are actually in the Bible. Or at least very short-sighted. So you, you're either blind or short-sighted, meaning you might be able to see, but you can't see very far. What, what does he mean by being, being blind? I, I, here's my take on this. He's saying that if you're not experiencing the divine life, then what you're doing is you're always looking down at yourself. You're always so introspective that you can't 
experience the life that God has given you. Get a vision for a life that is bigger, much bigger, far bigger than you. I confess that when I start to get tired, I, my vision becomes myopic. Uh, in other words, I, I can't see beyond the condition of myself. When things start to go bad or, you know, it's just the way the enemy traps us. And the more we get trapped in this condition of self, the less we really tap into the life of God. In other words, <clears throat> We stop, I think, living lives of faith and start living lives by what we can see and can't see. We, we need the eyes of faith in our lives to, to see around what's going on. Jesus even said to his apostles, hey, dudes, lift up your eyes and see. The fields are wide unto harvest. Why, why did he tell them? He didn't say dudes. He may have, but it, it probably sounded a little different. But he, why did he say, lift up your eyes and see? Because they're like looking at themselves, looking at their stuff. And Jesus is saying, don't get short-sighted. I've, I've told this story before, but for me, it, it's the most realist. Uh, it just, I, I didn't get glasses until I was in college. Uh, I didn't know I couldn't see until I was in college. And I'm sitting next to Miller Cunningham in my, um, in my class. We're sitting back. It's a humanities class. And the teacher's writing on the boards. And I look over at Miller, and he's just taking notes. And I'm like, hey, can you read that? And he's like, yeah, can't you? And I'm like, no, I can't tell what she's writing on the board. I can't see it. it doesn't, it's not clear to me. He's like, you need glasses. And he did say, dude, you need glasses. I went to the eye doctor, and sure enough, he's like, yeah, you, you need glasses. I remember getting those glasses and putting them on, and like, holy cow, there are leaves on those trees. Look at that leaf. I can see a leaf. You know, it was just green to me. I mean, I, but you think you're seeing, but you're not seeing. Are you with me? We need, and the only way we can get there is through the power of God that indwells us, his divine life in us. And it'll open up doors for us to see in a spiritual context unlike we've ever seen. And we'll say, where, where has that been? It was there in front of us all the time, but we couldn't see it. Listen, I'll give you an example. When I'm myopic and so concerned about me, I've got, I've got time to use this illustration, so just hang. When I'm myopic, I see things only from the perspective, is it good for me? Is this decision good for me? So let me take something controversial. Um, let's just talk about taxes. Let's talk about taxes. My, my tax situation is pretty good, and I'll tell you why. Because, you may not know this about pastors, but we get to claim a housing allowance. Again, I'm letting you behind the curtain a little bit. We get to claim a housing allowance, which means whatever I pay for my house, 
is not considered taxable income from the church, from the state. Are you with me? So let's say I pay $1,000 a month for housing. I can deduct from the salary I make that the church pays me $12,000 and pay it for my housing, and it's not considered taxable income. It's a benefit they give pastors, ordained ministers, so that I don't pay as much taxes. Now, here's the deal. Let's say I have a house, and I'm paying uh, interest on this house. Are you still with me, or are you totally bored? Some of you are like, I love numbers. Yeah, keep going. Others are like, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> I'll, get, I'll get through this in a minute. Just hang on. So, interest on my house. I can turn around and deduct that off my taxes. Are, are you following me? So let's say I'm paying interest on my house, which I'm not claiming that money is income, but now I can take what I'm not claiming is income and still take it and deduct it off my taxes. That to me is just stupid. It is crazy. And so at some point they may say, somebody may wake up and say, you know, this is stupid. Why do we let them double dip? Why are we letting them deduct what they're not even claiming as income? Now, I could sit back and say, hey, don't touch, don't touch this. This isn't, good. this isn't good for me. But what if this choice and the decision would be good for everybody else? Like our country. What if me paying a little more for health care is better for our country. I know I'm dipping into very dangerous territory here. I understand. I'm just, all I'm saying is, too often, the only way we make a choice is, is this good for me? I'm not saying those decisions aren't the right or wrong decisions for our country. I'm just saying too often we don't take the blinders off and ask what is good for us. Maybe bad for me, but good for us. Why? Why is this the case? Because too often we're not tapping into the divine life. That's all I'm saying is get into the divine life that God has called you and walk by faith. Some of you are haven't forgiven me for the whole healthcare comment. Just, I'm not saying I'm do. I'm just asking. I'm going to move on. Are you bound? Are you bound? Verse nine says they have already forgotten that God has cleansed them from their old life of sin. People are bound in sin when they forget that God has cleansed them and forgiven them of their sin. What a bear, what is this not a terrible thing to be bound up in something God has forgiven you for? Too often we bind ourselves up by not forgiving ourselves. Christ Jesus has set us free, and we need to walk in freedom. It was for freedom that Christ has set us free. Brennan Manning said this one of the most shocking contradictions in the American church is the intense dislike many disciples of Jesus have for themselves. They are more displeased with their own shortcomings 
than they would ever dream of being with someone else's. They are sick of their own mediocrity and disgusted by their own inconsistency. Why? Lack of walking in the life and freedom and grace of God. Are you bored? Are you barren, unfruitful, short-sighted and blind? Bound? These, these are the consequences, I believe, of not walking in divine life. Walking in the power. Ultimately, what you're not experiencing is the freedom and the abundant life that Jesus Christ came to give you. And here, here's what I'm trying to communicate to us today. I'm not saying, hey, here's the command. Here's the law. Do these. I'm just saying, in true knowledge of Christ, the grace that he's given you experiences divine life, then apply those qualities to your life and you will walk in freedom. Here's the rewards. I'm just going to hit these. That's not correct. That should be the rewards of true life. <laughs> just read the top line up there. That's Vacation is coming. Proofing will be better. <laughs> the rewards of true life. Confidence in God. Confidence in God. Verse 10. Therefore, my brothers, be all the more eager to make your calling an election sure. One of the rewards is that you're sure of what he has promised. See, faith is confidence in God. Faith is belief plus yourself. As your faith in life increases, so does your confidence in God. It's like this. I, I'm not going to, again, get into this much, but when you're walking in divine life and you step out and do something, then the next step is further away from where you originally are, but it's a greater step in your confidence in who God is. Are, are you with me? Experiencing the confidence that God has for you. Now, what happens along the way is we stumble and fall. We, you know, we sin. Uh, the Christian life is no guarantee that you will never sin again. I, I wish it were. It would be easier for me to live with me and everybody else around me if that were the case. But it's not going to happen. But for many of us, when we stumble and fall... For some reason, our faith in God seems to be cut down just a little bit. When in fact, the fact that God has even forgiven me for that should cause me to have greater faith in Him. If I'm experiencing true life, I, I, I've, I've said this, uh, I used this illustration a couple weeks ago with, my, with an illustration with one of my sons who went through a really difficult time and he lost his mind for a short period of time and made some very stupid decisions. And Do you know, I, I think what happened in our relationship, me and him, was this, that it proved to him that I loved him no matter how stupid he was at the moment. He, did, he didn't use the word stupid, that's my word. But the decisions that he made that caused him to get into big trouble... When I loved him, I, I mean, I was ticked off, as any parent would be. But I said to him, you know what? 
at this moment, at this, at this moment, I, 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 as disappointed as I am in this situation, I could not love you anymore. We're going to get through this. We are going to get through this. We're going to do whatever it takes, and I'll go as far as you're willing to go with you to make this right. I said, I'm not going to remove the consequences of your bad decision, but I'm going to walk with you every step through it. And as a result, our relationship is stronger than it would have been if we hadn't walked through that. Now, I don't know what that is. I don't understand how God's economy at times works like this. I wish it was just that my life and my relationship with Adam would have been strong no matter what, but, and it might have been, I, I don't know, but I know it was stronger on the other side than it was on, the, on this side. I think part of it was he now had confidence in me. Not that he didn't think I would, but I think there's a part of us that says, if I screw up so bad, God is going to just kick me out. I don't see that in the Bible. You know, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a big believer in the perseverance of the saints, meaning that it, when I come to God, there's nothing that se can separate me from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Why? Because it's not me holding on to God, it's God holding on to me. And so I have confidence in him. When I walk in divine life, I have greater confidence in God. And I have greater confidence in myself. And not from a selfish, myopic standpoint. Peter says, if you do these things, you will never fall. He doesn't mean never sin. He means you never, never ultimately fall. And you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let me finish here, and then we'll pick up here next week. So come back next week. And I'll, we'll talk more about the positive side, this side of walking in life. Back to John 10.10. 10. The enemy comes to what? Jesus comes to? How do I know who I'm listening to at any given moment of the day? How do I know if this is not the enemy? How do I know this is God? How do I know what voice is in my life? I know that there's a mysterious aspect to hearing from God. But just as an illustration, if I call one of my children, and they don't have caller ID, which everybody does, but... You can pick up a phone and you know the voice. Why? How, how do I know Kathy's voice? Besides the fact that no one else in the world talks to me like she does. But besides that, how do I know her voice? That was supposed to be a joke. But, um, I, it's because I'm in relationship with her. I know her voice. How do you know God's voice? Because I'm walking in divine life, in the knowledge of God. I'm in relationship with him so that I, I know. 
that I'm hearing. And when I know that I'm hearing from him, then I can have confidence not only in him but in myself that what I'm doing is experiencing life. When I don't, then I'm not sure what voice I have, and I'm always wavering. Now, is that the enemy or is that God? Is that the enemy or is that God? Is that the enemy? Do you understand? And it allows me to have a greater confidence. When I say myself, in yourself, in the, in the power of God that's at work within you. Because now I'm adding to faith, godliness, self-control, perseverance. I'm adding to those aspects of life that God has placed in me. And I walk out in freedom the life God has for me. I want to pray for us. I want to pray for you that we would walk in divine life filled with his power and his presence. Listen, people, it takes faith to believe that God has given us everything we need for life and godliness. And so as an act of faith, as I pray, I want you to thank him for giving you everything you need. Everything you need. Lord, we thank you right now that you have indeed given us all that we need. Lord, I pray that we would learn what it means to tap into your life, your divine life that's within us. I pray that we would, we would be filled with the knowledge of God, that we would walk in a real relationship with who you are. Lord, I pray that as we do, then we'd apply all these qualities of faith and goodness and knowledge and self-control, perseverance, godliness, kindness, love. We'd apply those in our lives and we would, we would be not bored, but we would be excited. We would be fruitful. We would have vision. We would walk in freedom, being confident in you and in your work within us, and as such, we would give you all the glory. Lord, let fullness be this kind of place. We love you, Lord, and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.